Well-being has become top of mind for many organizations in light of the ongoing global pandemic. But leaders and employees alike still struggle with how to move beyond health and wellness programs to truly making well-being a part of the employee experience. Deloitte surveyed 6,000 professionals across the globe for its 2021 Global Human Capital Trends Report to find out how organizations can position themselves to thrive moving forward. One important trend that emerged is that integrating well-being into the flow of work will be vital in a post-COVID world. This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. I'm here with Erica Bellini, Deloitte's Global Human Capital Leader, and Colleen Riley, a PhD candidate and teaching professor at the University of Denver with over 20 years experience serving as a catalyst for positive change for individuals and organizations. Thanks, Erica, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jen. Very excited about the discussion. So for this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Erica and I are going to be sharing some of our findings and insights on well-being from Deloitte's 2021 Human Capital Trends Report. And I'm handing over the reins of hosting to Colleen today so that she can lead us through the discussion. And thank you, Colleen, for joining us and, of course, for being our special guest host. And I guess with that, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you, Jen. I'm just really honored to be here um, speaking with you both and, and really looking forward to unpacking some of the key findings from the human capital trends, specifically designing work for well-being. Um, honestly, that title just even makes my heart sing. I've been in this industry for you know over 20 years, and it's always felt like, you know, Organizations said well-being was a priority, but once you got in there, it really wasn't, and it just felt like rolling the the rock uphill, you know. And just when you believe you've made it, uh, the rock rolls back downhill. It's like the old tale of Sisyphus from Greek mythology. So I, I'd love to just start with a kind of a, a big broad question: Has has well-being adoption within the workplace finally arrived? Is it really? going to be a strategic priority? So Erica, I'm going to let you start with that question okay. because I probably have a biased answer. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think that the answer is unequivocally yes. You know, in our 2020 Global Human Capital Trends Report, well-being came out as the number two trend only following belonging, which to me is inextricably linked to well-being. Mm -hmm. And 80% of our respondents said it was important or very important to their success moving forward. But I think even more, um, you know, the pandemic has put this issue front and center. Um, and, you know, we continue to hear stories, um, unfortunately, about a deterioration in the mental well-being of the workforce. And I think it's really forcing organizations and executives to take a look and say, how can we address this moving forward? How can we start to fix this issue in a more meaningful way? And, and I think one other thing that's happened, I'll just add this in, is that underlying all of this is that for the past three years in earnest, we have seen a major transformation of organizations operating 
from being traditional business and enterprises, right? Insular in nature, very siloed in their focus to what we call social enterprises, where they're recognizing the need um, to really meet the needs of a broader set of, of stakeholders, both inside and outside their organization. And, and I think these three factors are really coming together to say, we have we have well-being challenges. Mental health is front and center, not only in the workplace but in society. The role of organizations is expanding from traditional business enterprises to social enterprises, and executives need to think more about the needs of the stakeholders. Employees being paramount in there, and then the pandemic exposing, um, I think, this well-being and mental health challenge at, at an unprecedented level. So that's a long answer to your question, Colleen, to say yes emphatically. And now we really need to do something about it. Obviously, music to my ears, Colleen. I completely agree with Erica. Um, and and I don't think the issues that we're seeing in particular around mental health and well-being societally, which obviously pack, impacts the workplace in large part due to the pandemic, but in my mind was kind of bubbling under the surface and the and the pandemic really brought it to life and and it has the attention of executives across the globe in all of the right ways which is really encouraging i mean there is a real authentic and vulnerable um, you know, interest and concern for workplace and humanity, the humans in our workplace. Um, and how do we move beyond just what I would say table stakes, you know, um, you know, uh, health and safety, of course, that's important. Um, but really looking at our employees, our workforce as, as is, you know, the whole person, which um, in my mind is, 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 is new, um, but has been really, a light has really been shown on it, shown on it because of the pandemic. So perhaps that's a silver lining, um, but music to my ears for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it it's hard to say this, but maybe something good came out of COVID nineteen, right? Maybe now we've you know taken off the the glasses and and we're realizing that yes. Absolutely. Well-being needs to be focused on a macro level as well as on a micro level. Um, so, so with that and, and focusing on mental health, you know, of course in society, but let's, let's focus it back to the organization. And it has to be more than just table stakes. It has to be more than, you know, the health and safety it has to be more than just an EAP program. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and it's, it's people are just surviving. So how do we, you know, in, in, in the, uh, um, in the uh, report, it talks about this thriving mindset. So how do we do that crosswalk with organizations? They understand it's more than a call line on the EAP. And it's, it's more than just getting up and surviving the day and the week, but really it is about adopting this new mindset for thriving. Like, where do organizations even start or what did, what have you seen? I mean, from my perspective, start with listening, right? And I don't mean listening in terms of employee exit surveys. I mean, listening in real time to what your employees are saying and not only what they're saying, but how they're acting. You're almost talking about taking a pause and truly authentically listening to employees um, with 
a real intent to understand and having empathy and connecting with them as a, a human being. Um, how, how do you get leaders to understand and slow down? How do they build this skill set? Because, um, you know, in corporate America for so long, it's always been about just getting things done and almost kind of cogs in a wheel. So how, how does this transformation really start to happen and get adopted, um, not just within, you know, very forward thinking organizations like Deloitte, but in, you know, middle America or mid-sized organizations, even small? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is we have to elevate the role of the team leader. You know, we often think about leadership as sort of top of the house. And I think what we found, especially during the pandemic, was that the team leader had the best pulse on what was happening with their employees, especially um, in a world where, you know, people were at home, you couldn't see them, you couldn't see what challenges they were dealing with. You know, team leaders' ability to reach out, to to listen, to have empathy, to probe, to understand, you know, that became incredibly important. And so part of it is elevating that role. And then part of it is, is shifting the culture, right? There needs to be a view that a culture of transparency is okay. That, you know, if I take, you know, um, a, a page out of the digital playbook that the, the you know, failing or needing help in particular is does not mean that that you have not succeeded. Um, you know, that, that that's a sign of, of courage that you're asking for help um, and that you're being more transparent around what is going on with you. And that needs to start at the top because it's, it's a culture change and we need to give employees permission and say it's not only is it okay, but we expect you to tell us so that we can we can help you and that we can continue to help empower you to make the changes that you need to how you work to put well-being front and center. And and that's really the shift I think that we also need to make is that um, you know well-being and this this is the whole uh, theme of what we wrote about in the trends it can't be something that's treated on the side so you're talking about how do we make it a priority that's part of the equation the other part of the equation is how do we make it integrative how do we make sure that it's not just a set of, of programs as good as they are but it is really embedded into the way the work happens so that you feel as though you you have the ability to say you know what i can't be on video um right now yeah i completely agree i mean the 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 role that leaders and it's you know i think we need to define redefine what leader means like erica said right because all of us are leaders in some way uh, or colleagues but you know getting comfortable with perhaps being uncomfortable and talking about things that maybe we didn't talk about in the workplace before or didn't think that it belonged in the workplace before. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you have to come forward with your, you know, entire life story. Everybody's going to have a different comfort level, but being open, being visible, especially at the leadership level um, about what your, what your own challenges are. But what I've also found, what are your solutions, right? People sharing how we all cope, sharing how we deal with it, sharing the challenges that we've had um, and, and the things that work for us, you know, not only gives other people solutions, but just empowers them or gives them permission. I think what's huge and when it comes to culture um, and, and it, it's, it seems funny that people would need permission, but they need permission. 
Um, and, and I think that comes through loud and clear when you do listen to your employees. They want to know that if they, if they do these things, that it's going to be supported and it's not going to be viewed in a negative way. And so the more that we can all do it and the more that we can all support each other and share our own solutions, the more powerful it becomes. And then it's a, you know, it's a great cycle, right? Because it's positive reinforcement. And when you, when you think about what Erica said related to listening to your employees, right? If you, if you listen to them and something positive happens, then they're going to share more and then they're going to share more. And then it just becomes kind of the, the culture, right. Um, of, of the way that you, of the way that you work. I uh, couldn't agree with you more. Um, and it's, uh, uh, one of the questions, I, I, I can see how leadership would have that understanding of how important psychological safety is and really to create that environment where people can be vulnerable and comfortable to talk and, you know, um, you know, have that, have that uh, um, mindset. But in my experience, and I'm really curious for, for both of you um, to get to answer this question is, I get it from leadership, but how do you get middle management to really embody this? It's been my experience that, you know, leadership definitely can see the big picture. They can adopt these, you know, transformational types of uh, uh, behaviors. Um, but middle managers are often the most influential um, on their teams. And so, you know, what they're signaling and what they're modeling often gets, you know, embodied by, by the employee. So how do we really start to get that whole process cascaded? This is about putting the human at the center. And so if you get this right and to get this right, um, it, this is, this is a positive for everyone. Right. And so, you know, designing well-being into work in a lot of ways, the 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 whole the whole thinking behind it and the research behind it is so that it is, you know, it's part of what we do. It's not left up to the leader or the middle manager or the employee or anyone. It it, it it's designed into the work itself. Um, and and while that might look different for different people in terms of what their needs are the experience should be somewhat consistent. And so it's not if I have a manager that believes in it or understands it, <laughs> right? It, it, it just kind of, it just is, right? And so, I mean, of course, that's the, that's the long-term end goal. And so how do you get there? You have to, you have to change the mindset. You also, I mean, it, this isn't just about minds, right? This is about heart too, <laughs> right? And, and that's not always something that we have, we have, tried to win in the workplace over time. It's a, it's a fairly new concept around winning winning the hearts, right? And so this is a this is a head issue and a heart issue and I think that's how you get to 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 middle managers and to everyone quite, quite frankly, you know, they they're human too. They have needs too and they're feeling it too. Not are, not only are they you know, seeing it in the teams that they lead and understanding that something needs to change and something that something needs to be different. But, you know, I'm hearing, you know, the drumbeat loud and clear from all levels of the organization that everybody's feeling it. And, and maybe in a way the pandemic has been a great equalizer in that, you know, some of our 
prior ways of coping or working um, changed so drastically that it kind of, you know, even this, you know, put us all on a level playing field in some way so that we could be authentic and and vulnerable and look at things in a different way. Um, But, you know, every, everybody's feeling it. Um, And so I think we need to appeal not to just changing the minds, but changing the hearts, um, which feels a little esoteric. I understand, (laughs) but it's, but it's true. (laughs) Yeah, I would. I think that you just contextualized it really well. And kind of the takeaway for all the listeners is really putting the human first. Put it in performance management, tie rewards and recognition to it. I mean, let's get, you know, um, make succession planning criteria, have this as um, a part of that. Um, you know, I mean, that that's the way to help managers and team leaders understand this is a priority and it's going to be, it's going to be taken seriously. I mean, when it's a category in your performance management reviews, um, you know, when recognition is provided for those individuals who are really modeling it and those people get either, you know, recognized by leadership or some type of monetary reward. And then, you know, making sure that when you think about who are going to become your next leaders and the path forward, this has to be a, this has to be part of the criteria, right? Um, You know, and that, that's, those are some of the best ways to affect change um, at at that level. But by the way, I think a lot of team leaders really do want to, to do this because they're seeing the impact of these challenges on their ability to, to get work done. Um, And so I think we are seeing you know, the team leader embracing um, this need to focus on this issue. But, you know, if we get down to brass tacks, you know, um, the way you're rewarded and your ability to continue to accelerate in the organization are always great motivators for any kind of behavioral change that needs to be driven. Well, I learned that from Erica, I have to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you guys are a, like a dynamic duo. You're so powerful um, with your with your thoughts and with your words. And the fact if, if uh, no matter what level you're at, you are a human being. And and when we all put the human first, it is about winning the hearts and minds um, of our people. So we all can do great work and designing it into the the work itself. So thank you for that. That was really um, kind of inspiring. And it, it also just then leads to another question for me as you're doing this and you're putting the, the human first and you're, you know, really, um, focusing on on winning the hearts and minds of your people. Um, I also look at one of the titles in uh, um, the uh, um, report and it says the end of work-life balance. And for so long, you know, everybody's been so excited to try to achieve work-life balance, which is nearly impossible. So how does that fit in and unpack what that really means? Yeah, well, I'm I'm happy to start with this and then Erica, you can add on because this this has been I think my Achilles heel for <laughs> for quite a while. Um what I always struggled with was, you know, it it, it was never balanced, right? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 there perhaps shouldn't be the expectation that it should be balanced and 
And if, you know, perhaps my definition was always very literal of literal about work-life balance, but, you know, having it never feel balanced also felt like I was doing something wrong or I was failing. And when I learned differently for myself around, you know, work-life integration, which, you know, I think designing work for well-being is is even a further evolution of work-life integration, but saying, you know what, sometimes... I'm going to be giving more to work and sometimes I'm going to be giving more to my personal life. And over time, that's a rhythm and that's okay. And I have to give myself permission to be okay with that and not feel like I'm doing something wrong because it's not, you know, equally balanced all of the time. Right. And so the language around work-life balance, it just never really worked for me. Um, And now with the pandemic, um, you know, working, from home, working in different ways, wherever that goes in the future, you know, I think, you know, this notion of, of, of integration, I mean, I, I actually think, you know, it right now in the middle of the pandemic, it's not even work-life integration, it's work and life just sitting on top of each other, right? And so we've all kind of had to peel back and say, okay, what's going to work for me? And how can I work in a different way? Um, and what, you know, what is my, what's kind of my own personal work style versus those of the people on my team and how do we set, you know, behaviors and how do we agree to behaviors and norms of the way that we're going to work so that everybody, you know, so you're not online 24 hours a day (laughs) and you don't feel like you have to be online 24 hours a day. You know what the expectations are of you and you're having really good, healthy dialogue about it as colleagues, um, as teams, as an organization. Um, And so I just think, you know, this notion of balance prior to the pandemic, but even now um, it just, it, it needs to go away altogether because it really, it's not a, it, it, it's just not reality. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. The first thing I think of when someone says balance, and maybe it's because I have a two-year-old son is a seesaw. <laughs> and a seesaw has two, you know, people sit on opposite sides. And I think that when we talked about integrating work for well-being, that's exactly what we tried to change, which is that if we think about well-being sits on one side and work sits on the other, then think about how that works in the context of a day. You have a work day and it's super stressful and it's super frustrating. You don't get a break. You're sitting at your desk the entire time. You're on meetings virtually, you know, and then you're supposed to pause and go back to your life. Actually, that's how I feel like I've been living, to be honest with you. Um, you know, in, in, and, and I've been working really hard against that. You know, I'm, I'm in right now, I'm in my office. It's closed. The door is closed. I've been here since 6.30 in the morning, um, you know, call after call. And honestly, the bell's going to hit at 3.30 p.m. My nanny for my son's going to leave and I'm going to shift into life. That is just not reality. And so, you know, how do you find ways as you're looking at the work to give people breaks? And it could be small things, right? It could be things like formalizing a policy where meetings, 30 minute meetings are set at 25 minutes and 60 minute meetings are set at 50 minutes so that people just have natural breaks to get up. Um, It could be about being more um, formal around when you have to be on video and when you don't. Because when I'm taking a phone call and I'm not on video, I could go outside and walk around. I could get a minute of fresh air. When you're on video, you have no ability to do that. And those are the simple ways in which it can be done. And to me, that's full work-life integration because it's recognizing that I need to get out of my chair. I need a minute to breathe fresh air. 
And I need to do that in the context of the fact that I have five calls that I need to get done um, in the course of my day. And, and again, these are simple examples. But I think in this instance, like, let's not try to make this some, um, you know, grand program and transformation. I think, and that's why I say listening and, and empowering employees to help make these changes is almost the best way to do it because we will find these examples um, and then, and, and, and we will find out what works and, and then, you know, and the team leaders going back to that point can model it. And then we can figure out how to roll it out across the enterprise. I think it's okay for it to happen that way a little bit inorganically first and then formalize. But I, you know. I love that. It's a micro step approach to transformation. Erica, that's a whole new thing. On to something. It's really you know, that, that ebb and that flow. It's not black or white. It's like you said, it's the integration. It's, it's not uh, putting these unrealistic expectations. Um, I love the fact that, uh, Erica, you talked about these natural breaks and then actually role modeling it, you know, by maybe not being on camera or, you know, going outside and getting that fresh air. I, I think that that um, it definitely speaks to um, role modeling and, and changing the mindset of how we can integrate and get through this um, and keep our sanity. Well, and I think her her description of, you know, I was, I was tongue in cheek, but not really the micro step approach. I mean, what's beautiful about that, how it works in our own lives when we're trying to change behaviors and habits, which are the same in work, is that it allows for, you know, if, if it doesn't work, it's not a big deal because it was, we were just trying it, right? And if something, and I think on, especially on teams, you know, you don't, even at the, you don't have to do it at an organization wide level yet, but what, what works on a team, right? And trying things and empowering people to try things and then getting back together and say, hey, how do we feel about that? Did it work? Did it not work? Do we want to change it? Um, you know, actually allows for, I mean, that's that's kind of the innovation process too, right? At the same time, like, let's try it, see how it goes and let's adjust or say that it didn't work and try something else. One of the most exciting statistics in our 2021 Global Human Capital Trends Report was this data point, when we asked about work, um, we said, how do you approach work? How did you approach work prior to the pandemic? Business executives, right? This is business executives said mm -hmm. to us, we focus on work kind of optimization, right? Re-engineering, which to us is tweaking around the edges, bringing in some automation, not really changing the outcomes of work or really challenging how work gets done, but just, you know, making some tweaks. Um, Post-pandemic, those same business executives, I mean, literally nine months later, told us the vast majority of them are now focused on work reimagination, mm -hmm. right? So the business executives are telling us we are opening up the door to look at work differently. At the same time, we have this backdrop of well-being issues, mental health, real challenges that are out there, right? This is the moment. And I think that's the other point is like we are at a very unique moment in time. We should not let this time pass us by. And I feel really strongly about that because I've never seen the door open this wide in terms of how we view work like I am right now. That's fantastic. How do we not let that door close? How do we get this socialized, you know, outside of, uh, uh, you know, just some really open-minded 
innovative leaders and and became and help it become the norm rather than the exception. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it goes back to everything we've talked about, right? I mean, let's start by looking at the data. Let's see what listening mm -hmm. tools we can put in place, what our employees are telling us. Let's take a look at the team leaders and find a couple who are bold and ask them to pilot um, and take this kind of micro-based approach. And let's make sure that HR and IT and the business are all at the table together. That's the third mm -hmm. point, which we haven't talked about yet, which is yep. that this has to be done across the enterprise. If, if HR is in the driver's seat and, you know, I love HR, right? So this is not a bit. Alone. Thank you, Erica. <laughs> I want to be really clear on that. It cannot be done, right? I mean, many yep. of the solutions that we're going to find are going to have everything to do with digital. We need the chief digital officer, the chief information officer, the chief technology officer. We need them at the table. This has to be integrated into the work and that has everything to do with the business and operations and they need to be at the table. So, I mean, the last thing I would say is to put an infrastructure to actually make this more formal, set up governance right now that involves those stakeholders working together. By the way, that's such a powerful message also because now it's not a, a program, right? An HR program that's off to the side. This is something that is now embedded and supported by a cross-section of the leadership team. So that, that's the last point I would make on how to make this actually happen. That's fantastic. So when when you look at the, the chart um, in, in the uh, trends report, figure two, where workers are prior, prioritized transforming work for well-being more highly than executives. Um, so we still have some work to do to get those aligned, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think we absolutely do. I think that is shifting and will continue to shift. I think that much of what we've talked about in this conversation today is 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 how we get them there, right? I mean, what Erica just said about bringing a cross-section of the executive team together to the table um, to get behind this, um, you know, starts to, to, to change the minds. But even the outset of this conversation, um, you know, in a recent survey that Deloitte conducted with Fortune um, with CEOs, they found that 98% of the CEOs surveyed said that that employee mental health is going to continue to be a priority long past COVID-19, right? So I think, you know, depending on who you talk to and when you talk to, right, isn't when you talk to them, isn't that true with every survey, but you're seeing the mindset shift. I think what a lot of organizations and leaders are grappling with is kind of the how, and then how do I prioritize it on top of everything else that's going on, right? And so, but it goes back to also listening to your employees, right? If you're truly listening to your employees and they're <laughs> they're prioritizing it in one place and you're prioritizing it in another, I think as a leader, you have to step back and say, okay, why are we prioritizing it differently? And let me dig into that and understand that a little bit more. And it might be different for every single, or well, it will be different for every single organization. Right, right. I think the, the, the biggest takeaway is the conversation has started. Yep. And, you know, with your global trends report, now uh, it's getting backed up by, you know, research. And so it's just going to, you know, we're just at the beginning, but it's so exciting. And I think um, I'd love think to kind of unpack how you have in your capital trends, how important the... Uh, um, the emerging priorities are for 
kind of a little bit of what you've already said in terms of the individual, the team and the organizational, because for so long, it's always just been siloed and everything has been a top down approach. But um, can you talk a little bit about how we can build well-being into all the actions, policies, mandates in all these different levels and what that what that what does that really look like? And, um, you know, with like your organization or very large organizations, it's going to look different than, you know, maybe an organization that just has a wellness coordinator level that wouldn't really even know where to start. Yeah, I mean, I, you, Colleen, you hit on the main point, which is that this can't be done through one channel alone. It has mm -hmm. to be done across different levels of the organization. It has to be done in different ways. And that's what we tried to capture in the matrix that we created in the Global Human Capital Trends Report is we have to look at this from the technology standpoint, the organizational standpoint, the policy standpoint. Um, you know, we, we have to we have to take a look at every potential lever that can be pulled um, and we have to we have to stay away from trying to address this through programs alone. Um, you know, it, it's embedding into policy and embedding into formal processes. I mean, I talked about scheduling earlier. I think that's you know we have a great example in the trends report um, that we talk about from Starbucks, where you know as they think about scheduling for their baristas, you know they consider distance and time to travel between the home and the location of the Starbucks that that person needs to go to and making sure they have enough notice to plan that into their day, into their life. You know, that's a great example of, um, you know, designing work for well-being. And so, you know, how do we make sure that we're looking under every rock and every process, um, every policy that impacts an employee and asking ourselves, are we doing this in a way that is allowing that employee to embed their well-being, to prioritize their well-being in the context of how this is done. And that's that question, I think, can unlock some really powerful answers as a way to get started. Yeah, um, that is a really powerful question. And I think that the, the piece of it, right, is, I mean, you talk about individual, team, and organizational. So you have to have all three of those working together for, for, for this to work. Um, you know, an organization can do a lot, but can only do so much. What happens at a team can make or break kind of what is done and said and mandated at an organizational level, um, whether it comes to life. And then ultimately, you know, we're, we're all responsible for our own personal well-being, um, what that looks like for us. Um, well, you guys, thank you so much. I mean, this has been such a wonderful, rich conversation. So I really appreciate your time and um, thank you. Thank you. Thank thanks you. for being a great guest host. And thanks again, Erica. I'm so grateful Erica and Colleen could be with us today to talk about integrating well-being into the flow of work. And thank you again to Colleen for being an amazing special guest host today. Thank you to our producers and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series or maybe a story you would like to share, 
please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well. Be well.